We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cast. Good morning. It's not easy being a parent, and that's likely twice as true for single parents. The U.S. has the world's highest ratio of children living in single-parent households. A 2019 Pew Research study found that almost one in four U.S. children is living in a household with one parent and no other adult, more than three times the share of children in single-parent homes worldwide. That rate is higher in the city of Baltimore, where U.S. Census Bureau data over the past decade shows more than half of households were single-parent families. A majority are run by single mothers. But the numbers tell us only so much. Leslie Gray Streeter is a columnist at our news partner, The Baltimore Banner. Her latest work includes a new series about the trials and triumphs of being a single mother. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Part of the first column in this series is you simply finding a definition for single mother. What does that term mean to you? It's so funny because well, apart from the the stigma and the stereotype of what single mothers are, um, which may depend on on race or class or income or ge- geography or anything, um, like I said, it was hard to try to figure out exactly what it meant. Does it mean just a single parent or a single mother in the home herself? Does it mean someone who is single by marital standards, but perhaps has a partner? Does it mean someone who was divorced or has a living uh, and contributing or not partner who was also the parent, the other parent of the child? Um, does it mean that she doesn't have any adult in the home, whether or not they're romantically related, like my mother was my co-parent? And so, so many people have different, not only technical definitions, but stigma and stereotypes, like I said, about what that means that it just, to me, that's part of the problem is that when we say these things about what's to be done about single motherhood and single parenthood, we don't even know exactly what we're talking about. Right. And of course, you are living it. But do you have a working definition for your series? My, It's so funny. My working definition is a an unmarried woman who is raising a child without benefit of a person, another person who is that other child's parent, the child's other parent in the home. There are people that I spoke to who said that they believe that true single parents are people who have no help whatsoever. Then again, there are organizations who say that single parents are people who could be in a relationship with someone else who is not their child's parent cohabitating or just not married. Um, To me, it's all of those things, because like I said, I want people to understand that there's no one way of looking at that. And of course, as as you say, stigma Stigma comes from the beholder, not the particular situation a mother is in. You write about wanting to dispel the stereotypes of single motherhood. What do people misunderstand about single mothers? I think that the thing that they most put, there has been such a an emphasis on the status of being a single mother that is often not unattached from morality or traditional marriage roles or from sexuality and the, if you say problems with kids who were married, who were raised in single parent homes, all of the, the onus of the responsibility is on the mother. And she's the one who stayed most likely, because as you said, most single parent homes are run by women. And so, and maybe it's the mother, maybe it's the grandmother, maybe it's an aunt, but it is mostly a woman. And 
that society has tended to put the onus of whatever you think of them, the strength or the shame, one or the other, on that woman and not the person who is not there is part of the problem that we have, that women just in society bear so much of what children become, whether even in married situations, that everything is put on, the onus is put on the mother. So if there was only a mother, it's it's twofold. Tell me some of your personal experiences with those assumptions that you write about. You know, I think a lot of it, and like you said, it's both other people's perception and then my perception of that perception. I, I write about in my first column about how when someone referred to me as a single mother, I initially had a very strong reaction to that because not because I didn't think that single mothers were good, but that I understood the society at large did not. So I have been places with my son, particularly when he was younger, say on a plane, and I'd see people rolling their eyes or people saying, so where's your husband? And I would say, he's dead oh. because it was their business. And, you know, forget those people. But yeah, that happened a couple of times. But just the assumption, particularly as an African-American woman that goes to, once again, morality, it goes to uh, status, it goes to economics, it goes to people just assume things about you. I am on X, the site formerly known as Twitter, entirely too much. Mm -hmm. And people will say, oh, you single mothers, you should just lock it down. It's like, you have no idea what you're talking about. It's very hard as a single mother to not only find someone to date who wants to be with you and your child, but wanting to put another crazy person you don't know in your child's life. I mean, no, thank you. I'm good. So you're juggling the duties of a parent with the grief of a widow. How do you balance giving so much of your time to your son <laughs> while also finding time for yourself? You know, I think a lot of it, I became a mother when I was in my early 40s. And I think that I have many friends who are my age, I'm 52, whose kids are 25, you know, mm -hmm. one of whom just one of my friends' uh, kids just got engaged, you know, she's probably going to be a grandma soon. So I'm at a very different place than a lot of people my age in terms of parenting. Although that increasingly that's not becoming, it's not as rare to have mothers who are my age who have young kids in elementary school. But I think that I'm a better mother, I think, for being older because I already, first of all, financially was established. Career-wise, I was established. I had an established group of people, even though I didn't know I would need them in the way that I did. My mom, my sister, my son literally has like four godmothers. And I was established in a community in a way that uh, there's a, a huge problem nation, uh, worldwide with widows, for instance, that mo in most many cultures, your wealth is attached to your husband's. And when your husband dies, you don't have, even in this country, in some religions or whatever, you don't have your own credit, any job history. You don't have a 401k. You don't have your own bank account, even know how to find access to that bank account. And I, as terrible as it was to be widowed, I was in a good place where I had my own stuff. And because, you know, he's in school right now. So I have sometimes had a lunch date. I can take a date, but it's, it's at 11 because my kid's in school and I don't have to get a babysitter. Um, and it, it's a huge juggle. But because so much of, as people I've interviewed have said, the the financial piece for so many single mothers and a lot of single mothers are of a lower income 
it's doubly hard and but all of it is true of the the loneliness and the lack of an adult to bounce things off of or someone to play good cop bad cop with or someone to just go i cannot get out of bed to save my life can you please clothe that child and take him to school is that what you mean when you you write that you're concerned are about more than money and schedules, your biggest struggles, you write, have been the what-ifs that come with your life changing so quickly. I'm not sure I get what the what-ifs are. For instance, if I were, my husband, Scott, he and I met at Baltimore City College, uh, City Forever. Um, We didn't get together for years later, but he went to St. Mary's College with my sister. What if he was still alive? Would we have moved back to Baltimore? Would we, how would I be raising my child? What who would my child be if he had an active father in the house? Who would I be if I had an active husband in the house? Would the division of what would the division of labor be? I mean, he died when my son was not even quite two. So the majority of my life as a parent has been as a single parent. And so when you think these things are different, are they good? Are they better? I wish he was here, right? But that's not a possibility. So you have to go from the other side, which is what can be possible. But then sometimes you beat yourself up in the middle of the night. Um, But I always think about that. Like, what would life be like if things were different? This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass, speaking with Leslie Gray Streeter, a columnist for the Baltimore Banner. She's writing a new series of columns about single motherhood. What surprised you about being a single parent? Oh, you know, so much of it. Once again, when you look at what single parenthood is and people think, oh, that means that you're poor, it means that, you know, you you need to be on assistance or you need to do this or that. To me, it was more literally the lack of another person whose contractual obligation it was to help you. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, that like my mother, once again, amazing co-parent, but at the end of the day, he was not her son. So when she would come up to Maryland, we were in Florida to visit her now husband or to visit my grandmother who died at 96 earlier this spring. He was my kid, you know, I couldn't go, well, I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna go someplace too. Can't do that, (laughs) he's your kid, it's the thing. And I love him, he's the most important thing in my life, but it was the, the buck stops with me that I was the one who decided if we would move and where we would live and what sports he would play and if he's gonna do travel soccer, because I'm the only person to do it. I'm the only cop, good cop, bad cop, it's just cop. When you talk to other single mothers, what do you hear from them? I mean, are, are, are there common concerns that tend to bubble up? There are, and it's the understanding that, not that there's, I don't know if blame is the right word, but like I said, people, you see people who do crazy things in, in the news and they'll go, where were the parents? And so I think there's a lot of, and I have a lot of friends who are single parents for many reasons. And the number one thing is worrying that you're going to not just going to mess your child up because he only he or she only has one parent, but because it's you are the only parent. And if you screw up, there's no one to buffer your screw up. And there's no one, you know, for those of us, I have many friends who are raising boys who are women. And even though he has a lot of uncles and godfathers and people who are in his life who love him, there is not a male. I, I'm a girl and I didn't have any brothers. And that's not like a thing that I know intimately about what it's like to grow up as a boy. And we worry about, are we doing the right thing? 
you know, are we are we telling the right thing? Are we exposing them enough to people who can guide them through things that we have not gone through? What do you hope readers are going to learn from these columns about single motherhood? It's been funny because sometimes when you write these things, you you think you're writing them for people who don't understand. And then I realized from the amount of mail that I've gotten from the first column, my audience has been single mothers and men and women raised by single mothers. Because those are the people who said no one under the mothers themselves, no one understands how hard this is. And thank you for talking about how hard it is. And no one understands the pressure that's on you to raise an entire human being by yourself. No one talks about that. And for so many people who, men and women, like I said, who have said, I was raised by a single mother and I give her all the credit and I give her all of the praise and no one understood what her life was like and no one understood what it was like to be raised by someone who gave you their all because they were the only person to give it to you. You know, I don't want, like, I'm not doing this so one day my son will go on, you know, a talk show or talk to you, Sheila, and write a book about how awesome I was, <laughs> you know, and how brave and awesome. Yeah, it's not about that. And I also don't want him to write Mommy Dearest either. So let's keep him off the memoirs. I just want to have a person who underst- who has a good life and who, who I gave a good foundation and who understands why it was hard sometimes. Well, I'm looking forward to the series, Leslie, and I'm not even a mother, so good luck with it. Oh my gosh, thank you, Sheila. Thanks for having me. Leslie Gray Streeter, a columnist with WIPR's news partner, The Baltimore Banner, is writing about single motherhood in her new series. You can find a link to her work at the other record page at WYPR.org. Short break on the record when we're back. An innovative program aims to stop the cycle of poverty that besets many single moms in Baltimore. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Tracing the picture over decades, the U.S. Census Bureau finds that of Baltimore households with children, more than half are single-parent families. Growing up in a single-parent household struggling paycheck to paycheck can be tough for a young child. That inspired the Jeremiah program to address the struggles of single-parent households two generations at a time, with programming looking to help mothers and their children succeed. Danielle Staten is executive director of the Jeremiah Program in Baltimore. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Nearly 50 Baltimore mothers are part of the Jeremiah Program so far. Tell us about these families. Who are they? What do they have in common? The overwhelming majority of our family have come to us from either a Judy Center or St. Vincent de Paul Head Start Program. Uh, So most of our families have at least one child who is under five. Um, but they range in ages from newborns all the way up to teens. And uh, we actually have a mom whose daughter is also in the program. The average family size is about two to three children. Um, And a number of our moms have actually started attempting to go to college in previous years, but for various reasons um, couldn't continue, some because they did end up having a child. So we have a, a mix of moms who are starting out for the first time going to school, but a number of moms are sort of returners. 
How do you seek to help them, these two generations? Uh, The core of our program really is one-to-one coaching. And so every mom is assigned a coach. Um, And we have a one-to-twenty mom-to-coach ratio. And so they meet with their coach at least twice a month, uh, sometimes more. And coaching goes over everything from, of course, what's happening in terms of the college piece, so schedules, making sure they have the finances in place to attend college, um, but also how are they doing and from a mental health perspective? Is there food in the home? Are there, you know, are the children doing well in school? Um, and then in terms of the children, once moms begin college, they're able to access um, some of what we call our two-gen resources, which include tutoring. Um, They also, in the summer, have summer enrichment funds. So each child in the program gets $1,200 to go towards anything from summer camp to swimming lessons. Uh, We had quite a few kids who got memberships to the aquarium and Fort Discovery. And it really is the opportunity for them to also expand their social network um, beyond just their the neighborhoods. Before working at the Jeremiah program, Danielle, you were focused on the issue of college access. What drew you to come work with this program? Well, so I myself um, am a product of a two-gen program. So when I was three years old, I was enrolled in a Head Start program. Um, And through that program, my mom actually got her first professional job. So when we started at Head Start, she worked at a dry cleaner and she became the Head Start secretary. Over the course of time, you know, moved on through the Community Action Council was the umbrella organization and started working in their fiscal department. At one time, she was their director of finance. And during the time when she was increasing her economic mobility, I was moving on, you know, academically. Um, And so when she retired a few years ago, um, you know, she was a homeowner when we started. We lived in subsidized housing and I was a first generation college student. So I I believe in two-gen uh, programs. I know that it can work, and I really, really understand the power of kind of changing the trajectory of families two generations at a time. Well, tell me more about what worked and what didn't as you were growing up with a single parent. So initially, so my mom actually had me when she, her senior year of high school, and so uh, my parents actually did eventually get get married, but I think what worked. One was having strong community support. So there was a strong support of other women, my grandmothers on both sides, aunts, who really helped fill in, you know, she needed to go to school or she needed to go to work. They were the babysitters. They were the folks who, you know, if I was sick, they could help take care of me. Um, And unfortunately, that's one of the big things that's missing from um, the lives of single moms now is just that, that network of support from other women. Um, and that's what we try to provide a Jeremiah program. And so sisterhood is a big part of what we do as well. That's Danielle Staten, executive director of the Jeremiah program in Baltimore. On the record on WYPR, I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about single parenting in Baltimore and the Jeremiah program's approach to breaking the cycle of generational poverty that traps many single mothers. Cheryl Taylor is one of the mothers in the Jeremiah program, which just marked its first anniversary in Baltimore. Let's hear from her. Thanks to my ECE fellowship, I've enrolled in school, paid for, and I was an assist, a teacher assistant for five years. I am now a lead teacher just for enrolling in school. I'm a conditional lead teacher, which is better money, a raise. Tell us about what Cheryl Taylor has done in the Jeremiah program. 
Yeah, so Cheryl is enrolled in an early child education program through our Early Child Education Fellowship. Um, it's one of the things I'm really, really excited about. We just launched in June. And so moms who are interested in either an associate or a bachelor's degree in early child education uh, can apply for a program after the complete financial aid. We will cover the cost of any remaining tuition or books. Um, and so it's kind of a, a win-win in two ways for us. One, moms are able to get their credential in education, but also it's an opportunity to create pathways to teacher pipelines at a time when there's uh, such a high need for teachers. Um, and we also find a number of our moms uh, and moms of women of color work in early child ed education settings, but they're often sort of the assistants. Um, they don't often have the credentials to be the director. Um, and so this is an opportunity for them to get credentialed and to learn about other opportunities beyond uh, working at daycares and things like that. So we're really, really excited about that opportunity for Cheryl and a number of moms here in Baltimore have taken advantage of that. So education is a key part of breaking generational poverty for the Jeremiah program. What are the other pillars? So strong early childhood education is one of the pillars, which is why we partner with Head Start programs and Judy Centers. Uh, affordable housing is another. Um, it's also been, you know, one of the highest needs that we've had here in Baltimore, sort of affordable, safe housing. And then college and career focused coaching. And then sisterhood, as I mentioned before, which really speaks to the kind of social emotional support that single moms need. Well, why is building a community for these moms such a key part of your mission? Well, often single moms are kind of the only support for themselves and they're carrying everything for their children. And I think if there's one major thing we kind of learned from COVID is how important it is to have human connection, but especially for single moms to have that circle of support, you know, that traditional uh, village that helps you raise a child. Uh, but through a journey like this, the village also becomes a source of accountability, you know, so moms can kind of encourage one another to stay in school if they're kind of having a rough day um, or if they think, you know, sometimes I can't continue on. There's this community of other people who are on the same journey as they're in and who can understand where they're coming from and kind of keep pushing them to continue on. And it's also an opportunity, we hope, once moms do become credentialed and get their degrees, it's now a source of social networking for jobs and careers. What's going on in the coming year that you're excited about? We're really excited about some of the partnerships that we've established. Um, so we're part of the Baltimore Two-Gen Ecosystem, and we would like to expand those partnerships. I'm excited about partnering with more deeply with local colleges and universities. Um, and so we would love to have special programs set up for Jeremiah program moms or opportunity for moms to meet with one another on their respective campuses. And we're really excited to have this new physical space um, because now we have a physical hub where all of this community building and sisterhood can take place. Thanks for telling us about the Jeremiah program. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Danielle Staten is executive director of the Jeremiah Program in Baltimore. You can find out more at the On the Record page at wypr.org. If you missed parts of our conversation today, you can listen to On the Record wherever podcasts are found. I'm Sheila Cast. Glad you're with us on the record. 
Come back tomorrow. <laughs>